0: We've been kind of talking through the series called Thank God It's Monday, and the idea, the big idea behind it is basically redeeming vocation, occupation, our jobs for God's purpose. And so we've been talking about what have we rethought the way we went into the work week and said, we're actually going in with purpose this week. We want to be intentional about what God is calling us to do. and Is there a way to redeem this hard work that we put into whatever industry we're a part of? And what does it look like to attack a week saying... This week, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And so the first week, we talked about rethinking the way that we work. And then last week, we had talked about basically this idea of calling and vocation. And then this week, I want to talk about values, what we value and why it matters. And uh, so if you want to open up to Genesis chapter 25, uh, about 4,500 years ago, in an area just south of modern-day Jerusalem, lived two brothers. Uh, Their names were Esau and Jacob. Esau got his name because of what he looked like. Esau means hairy, and he was a uh, Grizzly Adams-type fella. It was no-shave November for him all the time. And he was also called Edom because he was red. He had red hair, and so he had kind of these names that were kind of nicknames that stuck. Jacob, his brother, uh, his name basically meant he was a weasel, and we'll find out why, but Jacob's kind of a weasel, and so they're twins, but don't let that fool you, because they're like completely opposites, and even as they're brothers, uh, what we find is they're actually kind of rivals, and so when they were born, there's a story that Jacob literally had the heel of Esau coming out. I feel terrible for the mother. I don't know what that could have been like. But these, these boys were born 20 seconds apart or whatever that is. And so you have Esau who becomes the older brother. And in this, in this culture, the older brother, it was everything to be the older brother. Because as the older brother, you were heir to the throne of the house. You inherited everything. There was this great inheritance that awaited, which probably stinks for Jacob because he was like, I was 20 seconds too late. And so what we find is that both of these boys develop different personalities. Esau is this manly man that likes to go out and hunt. And so they would live in this camp, and he would go out into the wilderness every single day and hunt. And whatever he killed, the family would eat. And so he was very much a, a, a manly, a man's man. And, uh, and so because of that, his father loved him. Uh, he was very proud of him. Jacob, on the other hand, was a mama's boy. And what we find is that he liked to stay behind, and um, he, was, he was more into uh, the way the systems worked, and he liked to help around the camp, and so we find that he was, he was good at cooking, and he was good at preparing things, and so he, he became, spent a lot of time with his mother, so he became close to the mom, and so even though uh, these two boys are twins, they're actually very different in their personalities, and then there's this phrase as the story starts in Genesis chapter 5, in verse 27, it says the boy's grew up. The boys grew up. And what we find is there's a story that becomes just completely transformative for them and for the way that history is shaped. And so in verse 29, it says, once Jacob was cooking some stew and Esau came in from the open country famished. He's completely exhausted and worn out from being out hunting. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished, famished. And it's red stew, and he's Edom, you know, he's red, so I don't know, maybe it was more appealing to him. I don't know, that was lame, okay. <laughs> that is why he's also called Edom, which means red. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright, which is like jumping in negotiations like to something extreme right away. He says, I need stew, I'm famished, and Jacob says, well, this birthright this that you, you have because you're 20 seconds older than me, I want that. If you want stew, give me that, which, Kind of makes you think, I bet you they've had conversations about this before in the past, right? Jacob has probably always been kind of pursuing this idea that it's not fair that just because you're 20 seconds older than me, you get to be the oldest brother and you get to have the inheritance. And so I'm guessing this isn't the first time they've talked about it. Esau said, look, I'm about to die. Because he was dramatic, I guess. What is good? What good is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me first. And Esau swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and he drank, and he got up and left. And then these haunting words. So Esau despised his birthright. Esau despised his birthright. So if we look at the bowl and the birthright is what's going on here in this story. The birthright, as we've talked about through the next slide, birthright is authority, spiritual blessing, and leadership. The birthright gave you a double portion of the inheritance of the family. A double portion of the inheritance. You were next in line to whatever the throne is of the family. So this is something that uh, identity, this was before the the line of priesthoods were established, and so you were basically the the spiritual authority of your family. You were the the priest, the one that connected with God. The birthright was everything. Uh, The birthright was the inheritance. The birthright was valuable. And then the bowl was red lentil bean soup. <laughs> I, I've had lentil bean soup uh, on a on a trip to Mexico. Actually, it was this work camp, and uh, completely exhausted at the end of the day. And you know, lentil bean soup there's a lot of protein in there, so it gives you energy. Not very tasty. Lentil bean soup. And he trades this identity of being the oldest son for the bull to sustain him. So this is a story, this is a story about values. It's a story about values. What do we value and why? This is a story for Esau, this amazing spiritual inheritance that he had. He's willing to sell it for the bull of lentils. He places no value on something that actually matters, something that long-term is going to be better for him. He's exhausted and he takes. So have any of you heard this story before? There's all sorts of ways to look at it. You read it and you get mad at Jacob and you think, how could you take advantage of your brother like that? This is why I call him a weasel. Um, you look at Esau and you think, man, he, maybe he was really at the point of death. But you have to understand his family is, is pretty well off and I'm sure that he could have found food somewhere else. He's very impulsive, Esau, to do this. But it's essentially a story about values, and and, and Esau wasn't willing to die for this inheritance that he had received. He's willing to sell it for the bull. So our values, this is a story about values. Values are important because values affect our life. Values affect what we value affects how we live. Every single day there is this choice that we make that is similar to the bull or the birthright. There's some things that, that we need to value in, in such a way that we're willing to just simply die for them. And there, and, and, and those things, if we can't identify them, we're willing to sell them for something that is instant gratification. The problem is, in our culture, in the world that we live in, our value system is messed up. Our value system is messed up. And every single day we're told to value all sorts of different things that really have no Eternal value or have no value that that is worthy of our lives. Every single day we receive messages to value the wrong kinds of things. And so I would say if this is a story about values, and if we think about our life and our work and what we go to do tomorrow on Monday as we head out to work and what we do when we leave here and go home to our family, our values affect our life, it affects everything that we do, it affects everything. So what we value matters. I would say our values affect our stress levels in life. Our values affect our stress levels in life, depending on what we value. So I know, like, at our house, with three kids, one uh, a time that's extremely stressful is bedtime. If you have young kids, you understand this. Stressful time is trying to get the kids down to sleep. And so, you know, Marcy and I, you know, as we think about who we want to be as parents, one of the things that we've talked about is making sure that we have the same values and, and so trying to have those aligned uh, with our children. And so then when we have issues with our children, uh, we know kind of these are the values we fall back on. So Marcy uh, has a high value on, you know, the, the kids being on a structured schedule, getting sleep, eating healthy. And then those are things that for me, yeah, you know, they'll be fine. I ate a lot of candy as a kid, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But then one of the values that I have, and Marcy's not in here to defend herself, but her mother-in-law's here, so uh, I, I, it's more of a pet peeve. But like, I don't like going to sleep until I brush my teeth. My dentist is here too, so I, and so I want the kids to brush their teeth before they go to bed every night. And and very often what happens is, you know, trying to get the kids down on a, on a time. Have you brushed your teeth yet? No. And so they're like, all of a sudden this this stressful thing comes up, and it's like. They need to brush their teeth before they go to bed, and it's, no, they don't. They brush their teeth in the morning and get them down. They brush their teeth, they're going to wake up and go crazy. So all this stress is all of a sudden added to the situation. And so, but the same thing happens throughout life. When, when we value certain things and our values don't align or we're confused about what those values are, it adds stress to the situation. This happens at work. This happens in family situations. This happens in relationships. What we value affects our stress levels. So being able to identify, these are kind of what I'm all about. This is what I value with my life. And then aligning that with the people who are most important is so essential. For a church to say, this is what we value, is so essential because there's so many needs in this world. And there's so many things that we're called to do or or we're supposed to do that we can't do everything. But when we understand our values, when those are clear, we, ha- we could say no to some things that are really good because we care so much about these things that are valuable. And the stress level that we have as a community is, we love that, we, we think it's a great cause, but this is what we value and this is what we're about, and so we have to have this identity wrapped up in these things over here. Values uh, affect the stress level of us individually, as us as families, as us as a community. Another thing that values affect, values are important because they control how we define success. Values control how we define success. So some people might really value making money and there's nothing wrong with that, but what might happen is in their life, they have this pursuit of money and and they know if I could just get money, I can take care of my family, but so I'm gonna work long hours and and, and by doing that, I'm going to to sacrifice some things over here with my relationships and with my family. They'll place the value on making money, That's that's how I define success. Other people might say life isn't about making money, and I, I wanna be, have a you know, really poor quality time into my relationships and so I'm gonna give up hours at work so that I will have these really strong, strong relationships because to me that's success. That's how I define success is these relationships. So there's these different things that we have that, that define what is success or what is significance and what we value controls that. And, uh, and understanding whether or not we're willing to sacrifice certain things for those values it is extremely important another thing values sustain us in difficult times we talk about values because they sustain us in difficult times they build this kind of exoskeleton that when, even in the times where we feel empty it keeps us upright it holds us together our values and you think about what your family values are so whenever your family is going through whether it's financial strife whether it's health sickness death those values kind of hold you up and say this is what sustains us Values sustain us in difficult times. In my life, when I've gone through probably the biggest trials and I'm pretty sheltered, I told Marcy the other day, I'm just a spoiled brat. But when I have gone through difficult times, though, when everything has collapsed around me, when I feel broken, it's those values that I hold on to. And this is important, especially in things like relationships, when you've been wounded, when you've been hurt, when someone has taken advantage of you, like a Jacob, and it has weaseled something away from you. What are those values that you you can kind of, be sustained with. So understanding values affects our life because our values can sustain us through very difficult, difficult times. And then the values also are important because they influence eternity. Our values influence eternity. And, uh, and this is important for a church and for followers of Jesus because in Ephesians chapter two, the apostle Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus and he picks up on this language of inheritance of being firstborn children and, and, and talks about this life in Christ where much like this birthright, we have this birthright as followers of Jesus where we have this rich inheritance awaiting us. There's a spiritual identity that's wrapped up that's extremely valuable. And, and he uses the language of the Old Testament of the firstborn sons talking about kind of like what Esau has and then as this people, as this community in Christ we have this birthright because of what God has done through Jesus for us. So there are some things that are eternal. And this birthright that we have, placing value on that, has this influence in eternity. Or like, you, like what, what's the gladiator line the movie, from the movie Gladiator? What we do on earth echoes through eternity, right? There's things that we do that are so valuable um, that they, they have an eternal value to them. We think about what's eternal in this world and it's people. It's our friends. It's relationships. It's our neighbors. Those are the things that are going to be eternal. What do we think about eternal? Is is God? God is eternal. To focus on Him, to put place our values on the spiritual side of life, knowing that that's something that goes beyond death. There's something eternal. There's an eternal value to life in Christ. So our values influence eternity, and they shape the way that we move in and out of this world. And so here's what what we need. I think as we we think about values, is because there are, there's, so much, there's so much noise out there and there's so many voices speaking into our life that are trying to shape our values as a people in this culture, we need to shift our values to the things that are eternal and to the things that are important. And so there's different shifts that we go through when we think about it. The first shift would be we shift from reputation to integrity. We shift our values from our reputation to our integrity. John Wooden, the great UCLA basketball coach, talks about how reputation is what people think about you and integrity is what you really are. So we all will want to have a good reputation. And this is something that's important for me because I'm a people pleaser and as a pastor, I care very much not only what people think, but what they think about me personally. And so I'm constantly will come to this place for values and I have a tough decision in my life and I find myself leaning to what makes me look good in the eyes of others, opposed to like, what's the right thing to do? That's what I need to do, even if it's a difficult decision. And so reputation is what the, what the world thinks about us, what our coworkers think about us. We, we give a lot, place a lot of value on people that we don't really care about. We just want to be liked. We want them to think certain things about us. But when we shift the value from reputation to integrity, becomes something that this is who I am, this is who God created me to be, and I'm going to pursue what is right and what I know what is right. The thing about reputation is we can't control it. The thing about our integrity is something that we can control. We have control over it, doing the right thing. Even if it's not perceived that way, our own conscious knows I am doing the right thing. I place a value on integrity over my reputation. There's a lot of people who've done significant things in this world where they put their reputation on the line because they know it's the right thing to do. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. What a great verse. Working for the Lord, not human masters. I always think it's interesting when you look at the context of this verse, it's actually written to people who are in slavery. And so what we find is that when Paul is writing uh, to the church in this town, slavery is still a part of kind of the, the social order, the social makeup, and he's giving slaves value. First of all, because he's talking to them, but also because he's telling them that what you do actually matters. You have value because you're a human. So this is really a progressive kind of thinking for that time. But he says, whatever you do, work at it for, with all your heart as you're working for the Lord, not for human masters. And I think that applies to us too. Every single thing that we do, we have to remember, yeah, we do have bosses, we do have people that we answer to, and we work for them, and our reputation is important, but we work for the Lord, and that's an integrity issue. We place our value on working for the Lord and not for men, working for God, working for this uh, inner character of who God has created me to be, placing my value on doing the right thing um, no matter what, because I answer to God before I answer to people. Another shift that we make. So reputation to integrity comes to our value system. The second shift that we make is shifting from things to people. And I just talked about like, this idea of, of reputation, caring what people think. I'm not talking about that. When, I, when we shift from things to people, what I'm talking about is, is how we, what we value in this life, how we love, how we interact with things and with people. There's this uh, quote from... Richard Rohr, who I always quote, he's actually this Franciscan, and he says, Jesus tells us to love people and use things, but in our culture we love things and use people. Maybe you've heard that before, but what if we shifted our value to to people when it comes to how we love others? We can live a whole life trying to gather things. We live in a very materialistic culture, and things aren't bad, but when things get in the way of others. When, things, when we love things more than we love people, our value system is, is switched up and it's messed up. We love things more than we love people. The uh, old actress, Sophia Loren, uh, Sophia, great name for a girl, by the way. Sophia Loren, uh, there's this story when she was working for this Italian director, he was her boss and they were working on this movie. She ends up having, she's over in Europe, she has all of her jewelry stolen this thief comes in and just steals all these things that are valuable to her. And so she weeps, she's a wreck, she's throwing a fit, and this boss comes in and he says to her, Sophia, early on in my life, I learned that I'm not going to weep for things if those things can't weep for me. Talking about physical, material things. And, and it's one thing that, you know, I have, you know, it might be like an heirloom or something important, um, but... To say that things are more important than people, the things that we really weep for, that we lose. Or as one person said, this, the best things in life aren't things, right? Um, shifting our focus from things, from the material, to people who are etern- eternal. That's a value system shift that we need to make. Uh, the third, oh, and, and, and there's this, yeah, Jesus has words for this, by the way. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. I can never say the like the plural moths, moths, moths? Moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love that phrase. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So don't cry for things if those things can't cry for you. The best thing in life aren't things. Um, where your treasure is, your heart is. To value things that are eternal, things that are of God. Yeah, the third shift that we make in our value system. So reputation to integrity, things to people. And the third thing would be glorifying self to glorifying God. Do we live a life that is bringing ourselves glory and bring ourselves credit? Or do we live a life um, that is meant to glorify God, who's given us everything? I would say that in the story with with Esau, his stomach is driving his value system. So he goes to glorify his stomach. He goes to say, whatever this need is, this is what, it's all about me. It's all about me meeting this need. We live in a world that says, whatever pleasure is, pursue it. It's all about your own pleasure. It's all about your own glorification. It's all about doing what you think is, just feels right then do it. And, uh, and we need to make a shift to not necessarily what is, brings me my own glory or my own fame or my own pleasure, but what actually glorifies God. And I think that when we do that, that's where true contentment is actually found, glorifying God what we find is that there's this pattern in these stories in the old testament where people try to bring glory to themselves and it always leaves them feeling empty, feeling like they've been duped or feeling like so you have the story of Adam and Eve and Eve wants wants something and she gets duped into becoming like God and that, that's the original lie that's the first lie from from this satan figure in the story to say you could become like God, you can be glorified like God. And so she gets duped into eating the fruit, and it leaves her yeah, leaves her basically unsatisfied and discontent. That was the, the lie that Jacob uses to, to get the, the birthright from, from Esau, tricks him into to taking something that would gratify himself, gratify his flesh, his stomach, and he ends up giving something that has eternal value uh, to Jacob. What are those things in in our life that we try to bring glory to ourselves and they always leave us unsatisfied, unfulfilled, looking for the next thing? Do we glorify ourselves or do we glorify God? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. With this different kind of mindset that whatever I'm doing today, whatever I'm doing tomorrow on Monday, as I go to work, Am I doing it for myself, or am I doing it to bring glory to God, who has created everything and given us everything, to shift that focus, that value, off of myself back to God? A lot of times in in Scripture, we talk about this idea of humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's just thinking of yourself less. This idea of of being completely humble being reminded that I'm not God. God is God, and I am a human putting myself in the right place in the story. And that can be hard to do, especially in our culture that that values the self, right? The selfie, everything about me. But shifting that focus from glorifying myself to glorifying God. This fourth shift in our value system is going from being impulsive people to being patient people. Um, When we think about our values, impulsive would be instant gratification to patient, looking for long-term satisfaction. And uh, this is something I'm just kind of starting to understand now that I'm 32 years old, realizing that life is uh, it's short, but it's actually really long. And so starting to do things to say, I'm now planning long-term, not just for the short-term, changes my decision-making. As a, as a young person, everything is kind of right before me, and I, I try to get everything instantly. I, I grew up with this idea of instant gratification. And what I've found is that some of the most significant things in life that are built over time are, are, are whether, it's, whether it's wealth, whether it's a meaningful job, whether it's a career, that doesn't happen overnight. It's built day after day, year month after month, year after year. And, and we don't usually have a long-term view of what life is. And so what happens is we start chasing different things because we think we can get it instantly. We think we can get rich quick or we think that we can have something right now And we sacrifice the future for the present. And I would say that's what Esau does in the story. He sacrifices the future of what his life could have been for the the bull of lentil soup. The bull over the birthright. We live in a culture that is focused on instant gratification. And we're very impulsive people. But what what if we were patient? Um, Patience is a, a fruit of the Spirit, evidence of God's presence in our life. To be patient and say, what I'm working towards, it's going to take time, and that's okay. And I'm not going to sacrifice what is coming in the future for something that is uh, temporary now. So this idea of shifting our focus um, from being impulsive people to actually being patient, to waiting. Jesus has words for this as well. In a very similar passage to uh, the one in Matthew, he's talking about all these different things that we chase in life all of these different things uh, that we think are important, whether it comes to our own, our own wealth, or it comes to our own clothing, our own houses that we live in. There's all these different things that we chase. And At the end of the passage, he says this. We seek his kingdom, something that's eternal, God's kingdom. All of these things are given to you as well. When we shift our focus to things that are eternal, all of the other things that we're worried about, that we're stressed out, have a way of working themselves out. And so when we shift our focus from being Impulsive to being patient. We seek first God's kingdom. So, how do we seek God's kingdom in everything that we do? How do we seek God's kingdom in our jobs on Monday? Um, that's something that's a very important practice and discipline for a follower of Jesus, seeking the kingdom first. Everything else takes care of itself. Um, so, as we end today, just a couple questions to think about, questions to reflect and And I don't know if you want to use these to to write them down in your notes or maybe think about them this week in your journal. But when it comes to our values, when it comes to these decisions every day when we're faced with something significant like the birthright, would we give that up for the bull? What are your top core values that guide your life? This is about identity. Maybe it's something in your family that you know this is what we value. Or individually, you as uh, in your job, Whoever you, whatever you do, whoever you are, what are your values? The things that you are saying, like these are what I am building my, basically my life on, and when things get rough, it's okay because I have these things that I value that will sustain me and ground me. What are the things that you value? What areas of your life do you need to make an adjustment in your value system? Maybe it's you value things over people. Maybe you constantly are going for an instant gratification instead of waiting long term. What are the things that you vowed, uh, that the adjustments you need to make in your own value system right now? What are the, the birthrights that you were sacrificing for the bowl of lentil soup? And then in what ways have you sold your birthright for a bowl, and how do you need to make things right? So maybe you're in a place where you're on the other side of what Esau and Jacob did, and you're like, I've already sold the birthright for this bowl of, bowl of soup, and you need to make it right. What is that thing that you've, you've, uh, you've given up or you've, yeah, you sacrificed for something that's not eternal and not satisfying? And the band's going to come up, and i to just take a few moments to, so, uh, the band, Richard and, and Hannah are going to come up, uh, just, take, <laughs> <laughs> just take a few moments to just kind of reflect on these questions. When it comes to your value system, what are your values? And as a church, my hope is that we will, we will value people over things, that we will value our integrity over our reputation, that we will value glorifying God, not just glorifying ourselves, not getting credit for things that only God can do, and that we will value being patient and and putting on display what patience can look like in a world that's impulsive. As a church, those are very important values that I think that we need, and as individuals as well. But what do you value? Every every, uh, service we end with an opportunity to take communion, Communion is, is set up over here, and as Richard and Hannah lead us through a song, my hope is that you would just take some time and reflect, that you would listen to God, that you would allow God to speak to you, to transform you, to change things in your life that need to be changed. And if you would like to, the communion is available over here that you can come up and move and take it, if you're comfortable doing that. Communion represents the sacred moment that we've been talking about. Everything that we do centers around the communion table. Uh, the communion table represents the bread and the juice represent God's body that was broken on the cross for the world and his blood that was poured out um, to wash away um, basically all of our brokenness, the things that keep us from living the life that God has allowed or has called us to both now and eternally. And so as we take the bread and as we take the juice, this is something that's very sacred that we remember this is what God has done here in this world. We remember what he's done for us. And then we, as we take that communion, we say we are a part of this story. And so we, becoming like God, break ourselves open and we pour ourselves out so that others may have life. And so the, the, the communion is a sacred act that we stop, we pause, we center ourselves around. And so as you take some time to reflect, as you take some time to allow God to speak to you, if you want to move towards the communion and do that, and we'll just take the next five minutes or so to allow God to speak to us. And, and then I'll close this benediction. So let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll have some time. Lord, thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word and these stories that are 4,000 years old, um, but are just these truths about life that we're faced with every single day. As we look at the story of Esau and Jacob, Lord, I pray that you would reveal who we are in the story. Maybe we're like Jacob. Maybe we take advantage of someone else. Maybe we're like Esau. We've been taken advantage of or we've given up something that's meaningful. Maybe we're we're tempted with that decision of giving up something that's meaningful. That you'd reveal to us today where we are in the story and you would allow us to make the right decision. You would allow us to make decisions based on values that are eternal and sustainable. So speak to us today, Lord. Bring us clarity. Transform us into the likeness of your Son. We give you this time, Lord, in your Son's name we pray. Amen.